I want to jump straight into the Word this morning, and uh, this is our treasure box. I've been talking about trajectory, and that is keeping correct trajectory. Our trajectory is not just heaven, it is the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is here and now. And the more we live with a consciousness of God's kingdom, the less our lives will be selfish. You see, the gospel of salvation could become very selfish. It's about your need, and God cares about your need, and you're going to hell, but God interrupts your journey to give you eternal life. And the gospel of salvation is about the fact that you will one day spend eternity in heaven. The gospel of the kingdom includes the gospel of salvation, but it includes so much more. Jesus told his disciples to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Even John the Baptist came preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is within you. And the gospel of the kingdom makes us much more conscious of promoting the kingdom of God here on earth. You see, when we give to these islanders, people will never see. But we've cared about their hardship, and we've given. And like a very wise man said, probably my best mentor in the natural, my father. And he would say to me in his broken English, don't worry about it. God keeps good records. And I want to assure you that everything you give and everything you do for the kingdom of God never goes unnoticed by our Father. We need to live not just to get to eternity. We need to live to bring the effects of eternity here on earth. You see, Jesus, his disciples said, wow, how do you do this stuff? My goodness, the power that comes out of you. Teach us how to pray. And then he inserts a very important statement when he teaches them how to pray. He says, Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And sometimes, if we're only ever preaching the gospel of salvation... We're looking for the moment we get saved, and we're looking to eternity. Now, I look forward to eternity, but I want to make a lot of trouble for the kingdom of darkness here on earth. I want to advance the kingdom of God. I want to inspire men and women to live for Jesus and to, to be the salt, to be the light to be the hands of mercy, to be the arms of love. This is the church that reflects the heart of God. Can I get an agreement? You know, if you read the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation, each church had its own characteristic. And, you know, some he, he, he commended, some he rebuked a little and then commended. And there are different aspects that he addresses to the seven churches that he writes to in the book of Revelations. And what's interesting to me is I think, you know, when Jesus came to earth, this is what he said. I have come 
to do the things I saw my father do and only to say the things I heard my father say. And when I think of the seven churches in the book of Revelation and I try to think, well, where would we fit in? Then I think to myself, well, hang on. I want us to be the church that could line up with what Jesus said. He came to reveal the Father's heart. And I think anything we do that can constantly reveal the character of God, from healing the sick to paying their medical bills, to loving strangers, people that we were taught when we were kids, oh, that race or that color or that type of people, they're not good, stay away from them. That's a load of rubbish. That's the lies of the enemy, the lies of fear, the lies of prejudice, the lies of arrogance. And in every way, we want to reflect Jesus Christ. God so loves the world. And we want to be a church. Before a church of X amount of numbers, we want to be a church that reflects the heart and the character of God. Can I get an amen? Ooh. Can I get a better amen? Yeah. So I want to continue in this series, Trajectory. You could be off one degree and from here to the moon, you'll miss the moon by two moons. What is our trajectory? Is it just heaven? No. God's trajectory for his church is to radically affect the world. That's people, one by one, touching people, having an effect on them. That's why I think last Sunday was so powerful and so important. And that's why I think what we did with communion was so powerful. Because communion is not just about him and me and what he did for me and how grateful I am. It's because of what he did for me and because of what he did for you, he now took us and put us in a position of governorship. We are governors. We are leaders. We have keys. We can lock up the forces of darkness and we can unleash the blessings of God. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. My sermon title today is The Great Rewarder. The Great Rewarder. After this, everybody repeat after me, after this. this. We're going to examine that in just a moment. We're going to let it go, but we're going to come back to after this. After this. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. Now, in the Amplified Bible, in the classic edition, it expands this a little bit more. And it says, after these things, we're going to look at what things. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your abundant compensation, and your reward shall be exceedingly great. Everybody, with carefulness to the person on your left and your right, I want you to stretch your arms out as far as you can. 
That's how much you could embrace, right? Well, if God were to stretch out his arms, do you think he could embrace a little bit more than you? You see, God's exceedingly great. That description is far more than you and I can imagine. I want to read the same verse to you in the Jewish Complete Bible. It's another, or the Complete Jewish Bible, my apologies. It's another translation. And this is written specifically from Hebrew perspective. And uh, it is a literal translation from the original manuscripts. And this is what it says. Sometime later, the word of Adonai came to Avram in a vision. That's Abraham. Don't be afraid, Avram. I am your protector. Your reward will be very great. You see, there's no question what God was saying in the Hebrew. There's no question of what God was saying to Abraham. One could make the mistake and say, well, God said, I am your shield. I'm your reward. I'm the reward you get. Let me tell you, if all we get is God, we have gotten more than we deserve and we have gotten everything. But God being the God that he is, that's not what he said. He said, I am your rewarder and there are rewards to come. You see, if we look at this word, your reward, in the Hebrew, the word is sakah, sakah, and it literally means, I am your hire, I will give you your hire, your wages, your price, your salary, your fare, I am your maintenance. In other words, I'm your source. By implication, your compensation, your benefit, your hire, your price, your rewards, your wages, and your worth. When Jesus said, and we read it the last couple of weeks, don't store up wealth here. You could have a hedge fund and the CEO of that corporation where you got money in that stock can make a boneheaded decision and all of a sudden those stocks tank. I want to tell you that your hedge fund in eternity, if you have one, Jesus as the CEO is not going to make a dumb decision that your stocks will then lose value. And I said if you have one, because there are two conditions. Number one, you must be born again. And number two, while we will all inherit eternity with God, Jesus said many times in Scripture, don't be so preoccupied with how much you get here. Be more preoccupied with how much you send ahead. It amazes me how the enemy has the ability to take the deep things of God, twist them around, and get our focus so distorted that we live almost in the opposite of God's principle. We spend 90% of our efforts and probably sometimes more in attaining wealth and saving wealth and enjoying our wealth for a world and a life that might be 80 to 90 years long. Not even the blip of a second in comparison to eternity. So if I was your financial advisor, and I am definitely your spiritual advisor, or one of them, I would tell you, make sure that you put your funds in the best holdings 
And the best holding is the kingdom of God. Amen. Absolutely. I, I, I believe this emphatically. This is not a ploy to get your money. I'm preaching you the truth. I believe every word that is written is inspired of God and it is a revelation of the things our natural eyes don't see and sometimes our natural minds don't understand. You see, the enemy is clever. He, he tried to stop the new covenant. He tried to stop what Jesus put into effect on the cross. He never imagined that God could love the world so much that God himself would become flesh and become the scapegoat and the sacrifice for all of humanity to be reinstated to their former glory. He never imagined it. The Bible says that. The Bible says if the rulers of this present age had have understood, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Devil in his, the devil in his fallen state and twisted warped mind could not conceive of a love so pure, so innocent, so sacrificial that the God of the universe would actually come and trade places with us on a cross. So he was totally blindsided. Then this God who in the Old Testament had one of 12 tribes be priests and only one man out of all of that tribe, the Levites, could come into his holy of holies in the new covenant. God says, no, I'm making you all priests and every one of you have access through the curtain into the holy of holies. And so what does the devil do? You see, the apostle Paul says there are doctrines of demons in the church. Paul said it, and there are. And one of the doctrines of demons is that the minister does all the ministry. And we have this mentality, well, the pastors, the ministers will do it. Every one of you are called to be ministry in the kingdom of God, and every one of us have the honor and the privilege to take our Father's business and to personally be the reason why His business is flourishing and advancing on the earth. Can I get an amen? amen. Absolutely. Church isn't something I do. We are the church. And the church is advancing the kingdom of God and pushing back the gates of hell. That's why Jesus said the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against you. So the enemy being clever, he realizes the potential and the good stuff that has been unleashed in you through the cross. And so what he does is, well, I can't stop it now. I didn't see it coming, but how can I make it ineffective? And he gets us preaching the gospel that's about salvation and then heaven so that we don't mess with planet earth where he's the God. Doctrines of demons. The gospel of the kingdom is that everything belongs to our Father. He's the king, and we're taking the earth back. Amen. Everything that's in the gospel of salvation is in the gospel of the kingdom of God. But there is so much more in the gospel of the kingdom of God than what we usually preach. 
And I am happy to break, break ranks if I have to break ranks. And I'm happy to be seen as a lunatic or even a heretic. But the Word of God is the Word of God. And I'm not going to not preach one portion of the Word of God. The good news is the kingdom of God has come. When you read the Gospels, that's the good news. The kingdom of God has come. Meaning... No longer does humanity have to have the rod of oppression on their shoulders, shackles on their legs, harassed by a kingdom of darkness and maliciousness. No, the kingdom of God has come. The sons of God are being taken out of darkness, put into the kingdom of light, exalted into governorship, and they are seating in the heavens with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We have governorship. We have authority. We have power. We have purpose here. Praise God. God says to Abraham, I'm your source and I'm your rewarder. If you do a, a, a word study, the first time the word reward comes up anywhere in your Bible, God owns it. I did this the other day. I went into my Strong's. And I uh, typed in on my uh, computer program the word reward so I'd find the first scripture anywhere in the Bible that talks about reward. And God owns the word. The very first time the word reward is mentioned, God is talking to Abraham in Genesis 15.1. He says, and I am your great rewarder. Yes, corporations, organizations, and CEOs have taken a note from God's manual. And we can think, oh, the church is trying to employ secular thinking. No, God did this. You know what Jesus said? I, I, I don't like this scripture. But it's true. He said, the children of darkness are often wiser than the children of light. And what I have noticed in all of my years of teaching, training, and interacting with secular people and Christian people, the world may not realize the principles they use in business are scriptural, but they are. And they operate on biblical principles sometimes more than the individual Christian. It's true. And so this principle of rewards is not a, an issue of psychology. It is an issue of God. God is generous. He's a giver. He is the rewarder. The first time the concept of rewards comes up in the Bible, God clothes himself with it and introduces himself to Abraham and says, I'm the rewarder. pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool. Don't you? So <clears throat> if we keep reading in verse 1, let's go back to Genesis 15, verse 1. 
If I could have that slide back, it says, after this. Everyone say, after this. So God says to Abraham, I'm going to be your shield and your great reward. But he says that after something happened. So I'm like you. I'm curious. I want to know what brought about occasion for God to introduce himself as a rewarder to Abraham. How many of you want God to introduce himself to you as a rewarder? So I turned to chapter 14, because when the book was written, there were no chapters and no verses. It's one continuous story. And in, verse, in chapter 14, we have a situation where Lot, Abraham's nephew, is living in a place called Sodom. And there were five kings of five cities in that area, including Sodom. But then there were another four kings of another four cities, and those four kings decided to come against the five kings that represented Sodom, Gomorrah, and three other cities. And the story goes, as you read it, we don't have time to read every verse. After church, you can pick up sheets of copies of the notes if you want. In fact, the last three weeks' notes are on the front uh, uh, pews here. They're not exactly pews, but the front chairs. Anyway. And uh, <clears throat> the four kings actually start beating the five kings and Lot and all those cities get overrun and Lot, his family and the people, the women, the children get taken into captivity and a messenger goes to Abram and says, your nephew Lot has been captured, his family's been captured, they are now prisoners and we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 14, starting with verse 11, I want you to understand there's a very important thing in, in, that we teach in Bible school, and that is context. When you read a scripture, read it in context. And so when God says, after that, I appeared to Abraham and told him I'm a rewarder and I will reward him, context demands that you go back and see, okay, what is the context that causes God to say that? Verse 14, when Abram heard, uh, sorry, when Abram, uh, sorry, verse 11, I apologize, I skipped it. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. When Abram heard this, that his relative had been taken captive, he called out 318 trained men who were born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and all the other people. So Abraham hears about this injustice. He hears about this captivity. He hears the fact that women and children have been taken prisoner by these aggressors. And he raises up or sets the alarm for 318 men who were born in his house. This tells me that Abraham was pretty wealthy. 
We know from leading up to this story, he was blessed of God and he was quite wealthy. And he goes on a mission to help his brother. I want you to understand that God will bless us, but God will also reward us. Blessings are something that God gives us out of his graciousness. It's unearned. It's like grace, unearned favor. Rewards have to do with God's response to your right actions. I don't just want the blessings of God. I want to know that I'm doing right actions. That I am tickling my father's heart. And he wants to reward me. Not so much for the reward, but I want to know. It's one thing that God blesses me because he's just good. He's a blesser. It's grace. It's undeserved blessings he's given me. But I also want... And I enjoy the fact that he's a rewarder. He gives me opportunity to act right. And he will reinstate right action by rewarding it from his hand. Isn't that cool? Okay. I got three converts. I said, isn't that cool? Number one, God's going to bless you because he's just gracious and generous. But number two, he believes in you enough that he wants to rally us like the 318 men to fill the earth and do the good works of God. And like he said to Abraham, I am your shield. I will protect you when you stand up, when you take a stand for other people. I will be your shield and I will be your rewarder. Hallelujah. Good preaching, God. He wrote this stuff. I'm just repeating it. Verse 16 to uh, 20. Let's put it up. This is where suddenly the story takes a really deep, fascinating... This is a mystery. It takes a fascinating turn. Suddenly, nine different kings were named... All of a sudden, the whole drama unfolds, it dissipates, a tenth king shows up. Never mentioned before, anywhere in the Bible, let alone in this story. Then Mechizedek, king of Salem. Salem means peace. Did you know that Jerusalem is Jerusalem? And Jeru means foundation, and Salem means peace. The prince of peace, the king of peace, look at what it says. Then Mechizedek, king of Salem, king of peace, brought out bread and He was priest of God Most High. Who is this Mechizedek? The Bible reveals who he is through Paul's writings. 
If you, haven't, if you don't already know, and if you haven't guessed and put two and two together, let's read what Paul says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1 to 3. This Mechizedek was king of Salem, and he was priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings, and he blessed Abraham. Now remember, this is all happening in chapter 14. Then in chapter 15, God says, after that, God shows up in a dream and says, I'm your shield. I'm your rewarder. That dream and that vision was the result of chapter 14. And so Paul goes on to tell us about Melchizedek. It says, and Abram, or Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, then also king of peace. You know what the Apostle Paul said? The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy. Now, we're not in Bible school this morning, and the clock won't give me time to do it justice, but this is why I love Bible school, because I can go so much deeper. When Paul says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy, that's a divine progression. It's hidden all through Scripture, and that comes up in prophetic prose. It comes up in the Psalms. It comes up all throughout the Old Testament. It even comes up in the New Testament. It's hidden. You, it is always first righteousness, then peace. You see, righteousness is the reinstatement of God's divine order. And peace is the result that comes from righteousness. And joy is the experience. And so this king is first. See how it says first? Divine progression. He is first king of righteousness. You'll never have peace without the righteousness of God. Amen. He is first king of righteousness. These are principles. <laughs> principles reveal how God works, who God is. I'm revealing how the spirit world of God works. He is first king of righteousness. Get righteousness together. Act rightly. What does the Lord require of you? That you act rightly and do justice. Amen. He is first the king of righteousness, then also the king of Salem, meaning the king of peace. Let's read the next line. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. This guy has no origin. You see, Melchizedek is a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus Christ. God came in the flesh in Christ, but God came Prior to his incarnation and visited Abraham. I want you to understand this picture. Abraham did not consider his potential risk. Abraham considered the need of a whole group of people. And some of those people were unrighteous people living in a way that was unpleasant to God. 
and Abraham as a man of righteousness and as a man of justice. Righteous people or sinners, he did what was righteous in the eyes of God and he went and fought a battle that wasn't necessarily his. Interesting, Cain turns around and says, am I my brother's keeper? God doesn't answer because it is a given. Yes, we are our brother's keeper. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Who's my neighbor then? Jesus, they asked him. And Jesus said, actually, the people you hate, they are your neighbor, and you've got to love them too. How different the principles of the kingdom of God are from the world we live in. And too often we just get saved and we got our eyes on going to heaven and we end up living the principles of the world and calling ourselves the church. We're meant to live by the principles of the word of God so that we can change the world and be the church of Jesus Christ. Can I get an agreement here? The gospel of the kingdom of God is about ransacking the kingdom of darkness and putting the enemy on his ear and setting the captives free with gifts of love and charity and mercy and grace. Hallelujah. Praise God. You're helping me when you say Amen, and you clap and you get excited. It's like throwing a bone to a dog. You're helping me. Praise God. So who's McKesselday? Do you realize that? <laughs> so what did Abraham do that caused God to show up ahead of schedule as the Christ? What did Abraham do that later made God revisit the whole point, but this time in a vision. Do you understand that because of whatever Abraham did in chapter 14, number one, he pulls Mechizedek out of the clouds. <laughs> Here Abraham is looking face to face with the promised seed that's going to come through his loins. And he's having communion. With the promised seed that God prophesied right from the garden in Eden when man blew it and screwed up and spat in God's face. The moment we cursed him in the garden through our forefather Adam, God immediately said, and the woman will bear a seed and he will crush the devil's hand. Yeah. How does God retaliate? With love, with grace, with mercy, with salvation. But what was it that Abraham did that caused God to defy time? And Paul McKezeldeck, he puts a name on this guy, calls him McKezeldeck. This is Yeshua. This is the Messiah. This is the promised seed. This is the one who came again. And he spread himself out on the cross and died so that you and I don't take the rap. He took the rap so you and I can get the glory of God and the blessing of God on our lives. Hallelujah. Can you understand that Abraham's actions were so powerful in a world filled with sin and it caused God to show up ahead of schedule? 
And then a very short time later, he says, I want to make this point. You know how in the Gospels Jesus says, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say unto you. Whenever there's a verily, verily, it's an emphatic, this is a principle of eternity. For God to show up twice on the same issue, it's like Jesus saying, verily, verily. This was important. So what did Abraham do? If I could have that list up. First, number one, Abraham did something for other people. Verse 14 tells us he gathered his men and he went to war. He served. He served. It didn't matter what it was going to cost him. Can I tell you? You store up treasures in heaven when you serve in the house of God and when you serve in your neighborhood and when you serve, it touches God's heart. Serving touches God's heart. You see, we have people in the nursery. It's the least coveted job in the whole church. Our flesh thinks, I don't want to change my own kid's dirty diaper. Let, a, let alone somebody else's kid's dirty diaper. But the praise and worship team, well, you know what? Wow, that would be awesome to be up here. Oh, wouldn't it be great? You get to lead the whole congregation in worship. Do you know if they do it, and we have a great worship team, but if they do it to be seen, Jesus taught on that. The attitude of heaven is, if you do it to be seen, if you give to be recognized, you already got your reward. That's like getting a penny on a million dollars in comparison to what God would have rewarded you. And so while we have a wonderful worship team and their attitude is great, but if they came to do this because this, this has more recognizability. This is more prestigious. This is more important. I want to tell you, that attitude will negate their reward. But the people in the nursery have no chance of ever being seen. Let me tell you how God thinks. The things that are a greater sacrifice, that are more of a direct Action against the soul. The things that are least honorable and least recognized. When we do them, they're the things that get the highest reward. Because of its purity. It wasn't for personal gain. As we continue, let's go to point two. Point two. He gave a tenth of all of his wealth. He tithe. A tithe is 10%. He gave a tenth to Melchizedek. Here's Abraham. People want to argue that tithing is Old Testament. It's the law. No, it's not. Abraham was before the law, and Abraham tithed to Jesus Christ, and he's the father of faith, and it was credited to him as righteousness because of his believing. So if you want to be like Abraham and be one of his spiritual descendants, why don't you copy your natural daddy and stop arguing that it's part of the law? No, it's not.
Abraham tied to his Messiah. Number three, and by the way, he, in doing so, he was recognizing God as my source. Number three, the kings came to him, the five kings, and said, look, just give us the people. You keep all the bounty. You keep all the plunder. And Abraham said, don't ever let it be said that you made me rich. I don't want your money. I didn't do it for your money. I did it because this was an injustice. I was willing to lay down my life because this is the right thing to do. You see, when we do what's right, we release God to bless us abundantly. He didn't take the reward. Selfless motive. The fourth thing he did, he said to the kings, I'm, I'm not taking your money. He just gave 10% to Melchizedek, and now he's being offered money. And he could have said, yeah, I'll take it. No, he said, that's not my motivation. He said, but the men who came with me, I made this decision. Their servants in my house, they came because they had to. They risked their lives because I told them to. I made the choice. I don't need the reward. God's my reward. But these men, they aren't obligated to do this. Give them a reward. And Abraham acted justly to the men under him. These things touch God's heart. And it is in direct relationship to these actions that God shows up in chapter 15 and says, I'm your shield. I'll be protecting you. When you stand up for what's right, I'm going to protect you, buddy. I got your front and I got your back. I'm your foundation. I'm your shield. And I am your rewarder. You see, the two things that God announced himself as are in direct relationship to Abraham's good works. When you stand for what's right, God will have your back. Don't go with the flow. Don't go with the world. Don't compromise. Don't sell your integrity. You stand up for Jesus, and Jesus will always stand up for you. Don't be unethical in the workplace. Amen. You might lose some friends, but you will gain favor with God. Do you know that if you're going to lose a friend because of your integrity and because of your ethics, all that means was you weren't willing to be partners in crime. I'm going to close with this. You can say, well, that whole thing is Old Testament. Well, let's bring it to the New Testament. Hebrews 11:6, And without faith... It is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And that word rewards, let's slip it up there. I'm not even going to try to say it. <laughs> but it comes from two Greek words, misthos, which means wages, hire, pay, and it comes from the word apodidome, which means I will repay you. Anything you do, I will repay you. How does God repay? Pressed down, shaken together, running out all over. 
So in this scripture, Paul says, you got to believe that God will give you misthos, rewards, and he will repay you apodidome, Anything you invest, he will pay you back, pressed down, shaking together, running out all over, and he will reward you as well. Church, the enemy understands that rewards God designed to be attitude rockets to keep us on course. God knows how we are formed, and God presents himself as a rewarder. And the enemy tries to make eternity and this life two separate events. They are not two separate events. My flesh will die momentarily, but it will be resurrected in the resurrection. My soul and my spirit go on living. I graduate. These are not two different lives. How you live here determines how you will be rewarded and entrusted and put into positions of authority for all of eternity. So while we worry about our earthly 401k and our hedge funds and our retirement and all of that stuff, just stop and remember we are spending the majority, 90% of our efforts taking care of one second on the map of time. Amen. God is a great rewarder. He's a great rewarder. Live for the kingdom of God now, here on earth. You're not just a Christian going to heaven. You are a son of God meant to make a dent in the world and a dent in the kingdom of darkness. We are saboteurs to evil. We are saboteurs to maliciousness. And we are agents of peace. Blessed are they that are peacemakers, for they will be known as sons of God. Who's going to know them? The demons of strife, the demons of conflict, the demons of harassment will know you as a son of God because every fire they try to light, you're going to spit on it, you're going to rebuke it, you're going to put the grace of God, you're going to speak the kindness of God, you're going to undo the works of the evil one. I have given you the keys of the kingdom, whatever you bind up will be bound because you rule and reign with me in the heavens and whatever you release, I will back it and it will be released. You might find this hard to believe. It blows me away. But there's a Christian marketing company called Outreach Marketing. And I was doing a lot of work with them, asking, you know, receiving their marketing. And I would have long conversations with their reps. And one day after a series I was preaching in this church, I had been preaching something quite novel. I never heard it before. The concept, of course, it's eternal. But I had phrased it, we, and I was telling them, we're going to get T-shirts made. We don't go to church. We are the church. Amen. They took it. They ran with it. Six months later, they had a full spread of marketing for banners and all manner of things. 
And I'm going to say something to you. We don't just not go to church. We aren't just the church. Every day, we have the opportunity to be the church. Before you ask your friend from work to come to church, take church to him. Pray for him at work. When he's telling you about how horrible his wife is, sit down and pray for him. Amen. Don't come into agreement and say, yeah, Lord, she's a witch. <laughs> speak peace. Speak reconciliation. Speak mercy. Speak grace. We want to get people to church. You are the church. So the church has already showed up. Now be it. Be it. I give you authority. Pray for your neighbor. I give you authority. Pray for the people at work. I'm not going to get offended. I'm not going to be threatened. And then let's gather together again and forsake not the gathering of the brethren. And let's let iron sharpen iron. And let's bring him corporate praise together. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. God is good. And he's in us. He's in you. And he wants to do good works. You see, we all say God is good. But the God of good is in you. So that we can do good. If he's the tree of life that's in us, then the most natural fruit to hang from our branches should be the good works that come from God's heart. Amen. Abraham didn't worry about the cost. He didn't worry about who might die. He didn't worry about the fact that he might die. Fighting the fight of righteousness pits us against incredible odds by the Ubenai. But God says, fighting the fight of righteousness puts you in the majority because I'm by your side. You're not alone. Daddy is our shield and our great reward. Amen. If you've never asked Jesus Christ in your heart, I want to welcome you to the greatest thing you will ever experience. It's not about religion. It's not about a church. It's about the contract, the covenant that God wants to pull us all into. It never ceases to amaze me when a new multi-level marketing comes out. We are willing to tell all of our friends because it will push us up that ladder. Nothing will pay dividends like sharing the goodness of God for the sake of wanting all men and women to know how good he is. If you've never had this personal relationship with God, you can today. You need to. It's so important. Jesus said, 
I stand at the door and I knock. If something's tugging at your heart today, it's not Pastor Rob and it's not grace and faith. Jesus said, I stand at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. So to say no today is to look Jesus square in the face and say, sorry, buddy. I don't need you. He loves you. And he'll keep loving you. But he can only help us when we open the door and let him come in. Amen. Very quickly, every eye closed. If you'd like to ask Jesus into your heart today, quickly, raise your hand. Say, I want Christ. I want to be born again. I want to accept him. Thank you. Who else? I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Most important thing you could do. Most important thing you could do. Fantastic. Wow. Well, you want to be the church? You probably know the person next to you. You probably know the person behind you. But do it anyway. Just ask them, would you have you asked Jesus in your heart? Go on, turn. Ask them. Be gentle. Be kind. Be loving. Be warm. Never critical or condemning. Anyone not accept Christ as their Savior? Amen. Come, I'm going to pray with you. I know you've asked Jesus in your heart, but I'm going to pray with you anyway. We're going to close in prayer, church. Father, I pray that the eyes of our spirit will be opened and that we will truly understand what you have called us to and what you've called us from. I pray that we will understand the glorious riches of our inheritance now in Christ Jesus. And Father, this is your church. Continue to show up and let the world see how awesome you are. In Jesus' name, amen.